The opinions and views shared in this podcast are the opinions and views of the host and the host alone. They are not a reflection of his employer or any other organization that the host is a member of. The host does not speak for anyone, only himself. This is the I Am Pith Podcast. Get ready for contact. What's going on, everybody? This is your boy Dex with the I Am Pits podcast. You know, one thing I've learned in my time as a police officer is that no matter where you work in America or what shift you work, every shift almost always starts the same. You pull into your station, you cut your car on and start warming it up. You see the guys from the previous shift kind of loitering around the parking lot. And you see your guys from your shift starting to trickle in through the gate. The morning of December 18th, I remember being at my police car and looking up and I saw my buddy and my sector partner, Zach, rolling into the station in his bright blue SUV. My God, that dude, he loved that freaking car. You could always spot him from a thousand miles away just from the sheer brightness (laughs) of his car. And I remember going into the station that morning and sitting at the roll call table. And for those of you all that are not police, if you don't know what the roll call table is, let me inform you. The police roll call table is the table of brother and sisterhood. See, it is at the police roll call table where we all gather before and typically after shift. See, it's at the roll call table where vital and important information from the previous shift gets passed down to the next shift. If there's somebody we need to be looking for, that gets passed along there. If there's an incident that happened that we need to know about, it gets passed along there. And you see, it's at the roll call table where officers, especially new officers, are made or broken. See, the roll call table is a sacred ground. And at the roll call table, you have to have thick skin. See, at the roll call table, we put it all out there. The good, the bad, the really ugly, and the really not so good. And that's not to say that we don't give each other's kudos for the good things that we do during our shift. But that's not the funny stuff that we like to laugh about. See, if you do something dumb or say something stupid on the radio, it's going to come back to haunt you at the roll call table. Case in point, a couple weeks ago, we had a little police chase going on here in Louisville. And the police chase came through our division. And apparently the people they were chasing were armed and dangerous. Somebody comes up on the radio and says, do we have any SWAT? members available to help with this police chase. My homeboy, I'm going to go ahead and name him out because I love him to death. My boy, Weiss, who is Zach's partner, gets on the radio and says, SRT, designated marksman. You know, I hear this and I stop and I'm like, what did I just hear? And whoever was in charge of the chase, the sergeant, asked asked them to repeat again. And then he says it with more confidence, SRT, designated marksman. And so for you all that don't know, SWAT, those are our super tactical guys. That's not to say that my homeboy is not tactical. But on SRT, we are pretty much, we stand the line, just get yelled at and get stuff thrown at us, pretty much. (laughs) Y'all saw that during the riots, right? So, but he is our designated marksman for SRT. He's our lethal cover. It's not SWAT. So, of course, you know, all of our SWAT guys, they're going to lay into them. And so when we come into roll call the next day, oh, my Lord, let me tell y'all, the memes that were created from this were epic. And my dude, Weiss, he took it like a champ and he had the best comeback for it all. He said, you know what? Yeah, I said it. But guess what? I'm going to be a legend around this place. And he absolutely is for that transmission on the radio. 
So shout out to my dude, Weiss, man. I love you, brother. But man, you know, this, this is the roll call table. I mean, we harassed and hazed this man all shift, and we still are. But that's because we love him, and that's because he gives us so much laughter. And see, the roll call table in the first division is special to me because the roll call table in the first division is where I did my first ride along in December of 2008. See, it was at the roll call table in the first division when I realized that this is what I want to do with my life and this is where I want to be. I want to be an LMPD officer. I write about it in my book and I just remember being at that roll call table for the first time and being around the officers and their sharp dressed uniforms and their shiny glossy belts and just the laughter and the jokes that going on at the roll call table. I instantly knew I was like, these are my people. This is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to do with my life. You know, there was no question about it. It was at that roll call, same roll call table in 2008 where I just knew I had to get hired and work here. And the morning of December 18th was no different. Zach actually came in early that day, which was a surprise to all of us. <laughs> you know, oh, man. I remember seeing him walking in through the door, walk down the hallway and take his seat. And I don't know what it was this morning on the morning of December 18th, but there's something special about this roll call. Some people might not say it was special. Some people might just say it was just a normal roll call. But we laughed and we joked and we cut up for the longest time. At one point in time, I wasn't even sure we were ever going to hit the streets that morning because we were having such a good time sitting at the roll call table, laughing, joking. And ladies and gentlemen, to protect myself and my friends, I'm not even going to go and say a lot of the jokes and the things we said because the roll call table is special. But what happens at the roll call table stays at the roll call table. But just know we were laughing the ceiling off of the first division. But regardless of how funny that day was, that roll, that roll call was, there's one question that every cop asks themselves when they put on their uniform and they get in their car and they drive to the station and they walk to the door of the police station and go inside and they sit at the roll call table. There is one question that we all ask ourselves that sits in the back of our mind as we get ready to start our shift. And that question is, what are we doing for lunch today? Absolutely. That is the most important question of the day. What do you think I was going to say? Am I going to make it back alive, home alive from my shift? Is something bad going to happen to me at work today? No. That is never the first thought on our mind when we get in our cars and go to our ships and we're sitting at the roll call table cutting up with our boys. Death or something happening to us is the very last thing on our mind. Now, we might discuss these probabilities at the roll call table, but it is never in a serious fashion. I've never been to one roll call in 12 years where somebody has said, Dex, if I don't make it back alive from the shift, you know, tell my parent, wife I love them. In a police world, a typical roll call, somebody says that, it's going to be followed by, hey, bro, if something happened to me today. Hey, make sure this phone end up in the bottom of the Ohio River, my man. <laughs> That's typically what it's going to be said, not in a serious fashion, but in a joking manner. <laughs> you know, this is what goes on at the roll call table. And in that day, we were sitting there laughing, our whole squad, and somebody came up with the idea of, hey, let's do breakfast this morning. Because typically, we love to eat together. My, our boy, Zach, this is a skinny kid from Edmondson County, Kentucky. My God, Zach could eat. Food was the highest priority of Zach's life. <laughs> Food was the highest priority of his career. And he always made sure that we would always eat together no matter what. So that morning, you know, typically on Saturdays, we try to gather, go somewhere and sit down as a squad and have breakfast if 
the chaos of Louisville allows us to. Typically, I've always called us the Saturday, Sunday morning breakfast club. Lord, because shout out to the fish house because we love some fish house, ladies and gentlemen. Some of the best breakfasts around and the beignets are exceptional. So, you know, typically we would go there maybe on a Saturday or Sunday, but for some odd reason this day, we decided not to go. So instead, we opted to stay at the roll call table, chat. And then as the call started to roll in and the radio started to squawk, we hit the streets. So, you know, I do my typical thing that morning, go get some gas, fill up, call the wife, tell her good morning, tell her, tell the kids I said good morning. And around 9 o'clock something that morning, I get called down to 7th Street to a a burglar alarm. And as I walk up the stairs to the top flight of stairs, I see this homeless guy just laying there. And then I start doing, you know, I start going to work. As I'm getting this guy's info and talking to him, I hear Zach pull up. And I scream out to him, hey, yo, Zach, I'm on the third flight of stairs at the top. And I remember Zach walking up the stairs and, and he's watching this guy while I'm getting his info and doing a search on him real quick. And as I'm getting this guy's info, he just starts getting real upset because he's not giving me the correct info. And then it just it just goes south from there. Why it always got to be the black cop? You are the worst. Why are you out here acting like this, man? I ain't done nothing. Why are you messing with me? And he looks over at Zach. You see him, that white officer? That white officer's cool as shit. You? Fuck you, though. This is bullshit. You know, so I look over at Zach and I cut Zach a smile. Zach smiles back at me and he's got a, a grin on his face laughing as this guy's giving me the blues. But this guy apparently really likes Zach. That's because Zach wasn't taking him to jail and I was. <laughs> you know, so I was rear- I'm taking the guy down the stairs and I still don't know this guy's real information. And I get I get the guy in my car. And Zach and I share one last brief laugh as Zach tells me, you know, he's probably going to be out in about an hour and be right back over here. I'm like, you are absolutely right. (laughs) And so as I'm driving to the jail, which is actually just around the corner, I get a text message from Zach. And this would be Zach and I's last communication on this side of life. And this would be Zach's last act of kindness towards me. Without even asking him, I didn't ask him to do anything for me. I was going to figure all this out on my own once I got to the jail. And the next thing you know, I get this text message from Zach. And he has found all this man's information. I don't know how, but that is Zach. The man was a whiz with electronics. He was a whiz with all our applications and everything we needed to know to how to find somebody's identification and identify him. Lord, have mercy, man. Zach has saved me so many times in this career field since I started working with him. Because if there was something I did not know, I would always hit him up because he knew when it comes to all our programs and all this stuff, man. He was the go-to guy. And the last text message was, nice, a full extradition warrant for felony probation violation. And giving an officer false info if you want to go that route. I think I heard you warn him when I was waking when I was walking up. I texted him back, thank you. I warned him in advance. And his last text to me was exactly. And I remember Zach driving off and going to his next run, which is up on the Interstate on I-64. Never in a million years did I think that. The first thought that would have came to my mind that this would be my last interaction with Zach. The thought never crossed my mind for a split second. But as I'm sitting down at the jail trying to get this guy processed, my computer starts malfunctioning and I'm having all these issues because I drive a crappy old Crown Vic, but I love my Crown Vic. You know, so I'm trying to get this printed up and then I hear the call come on the radio and the tones go off and I hear the calls for 115 Baker but no answer and in my mind I'm like man this happens all the time I'm sure he's okay didn't even think twice about it then I heard the tones go off again and no answer 
Then I heard units starting to go his way. And then the panic starts to set in and I'm stuck at the jail and I can't get out because I have this prisoner. And I hear them setting up a route to the hospital. And then I finally get this guy booked and processed. And I remember they opened up the gate for me and I took off out the, that gate in my car like a horse out of the gate on the derby. Lights and sirens, sirens blaring, heading towards my dude, Zach. And the, I wasn't even sure where they were at at the time. And I just knew they were setting up a hospital route, so I figured, you know what, I'm gonna go be a part of this hospital route to help out, get him to the hospital safely. And the roads were so terrible that morning and just absolutely slick. I remember coming around the corner over off of Brook Street and my car spun out and did an absolute 360, man, because the roads were just absolute crap that morning. So I sit over there, and as they got me to the hospital, I'd, I head to the hospital to go assist. And as I'm at the hospital waiting, I see Zach's dad, Dale, coming to the hospital. See, a lot of people don't know that part of the reason I came back to LMPD you know, I was I was on my way back regardless. But what sealed it for me was Zach's dad, Dell. I started corresponding with him when I was in Arizona, right when everything was getting hot and popping off with the riots. And I remember Dell just kept texting me and calling me, and he kept telling me it's time to come home, man. And it was time to come home. And I remember when I first got back to Louisville and my family moved back. Dale invited us over to his house, and I sat there with him and his family. And see, Zach's brother, Case, and my son, they became very good friends, and they played ball together. So I became very, very close with the Cottingham family. And Miss Phyllis, I want to go ahead and say hi to Miss Phyllis, a shout-out. She's my, my number one fan of the podcast and my book. <laughs> So I want to go ahead and say hi to her, but you know, I just I've spent so much time with Dell, and he's so proud of his son. And I remember the first time I met Zach, it was at that barbecue. You know, Zach was on the day shift, but when I came back, I was on nights, and because I was having issues with working nights, I was briefly reassigned to the day shift, and so Dell therefore introduced me to Zach because Zach would go on to be my partner for the next three months while I was on day shift. And man, let me tell you, when I first started working with Zach, I was nervous because that man has no stop in him. It's go, 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 go. You could always tell when Zach was getting getting revved up and ready to start rocking. He would sit at the roll call table and his the chairs we sit in, the swivel chair would start bouncing back and forward. And then he would start flipping the hood of his holster up and down, up and down, up and down. We look like, oh, man, he's ready to go and tear it up, man. And then from there on out, all you would hear all day is 115 Baker, copy traffic. Oh, man. So I was thinking, I was like, man, I'm not going to be able to keep up with this kid. You know, I've been doing this a while and I'm tired. I was like, man, I mean, he was when it comes to policing and doing traffic. Zach was that dude. See, Zach wanted to go to the traffic unit. And let me tell you, this man was well on his way. And the best part is, you know, I've total time on LMPD before I left. I had a, and coming back, I had about nine, nine years. You know, Zach was a, I believe, a six, seven year officer at the time I came back. But he'd always tell me, it's like, hey, you got to do what I say. Remember, I'll rank you in seniority. And he would just look at me with this crap eating grin on his face and laugh, you know. But it was never serious. But man, you know, even though he knew, yeah. He, <laughs> he had me seniority-wise, but he always respected the fact that how long I've been on. And he gave me some leeway because he knew this old dude could not <laughs> could not keep up with him. So I was happy when we got our uh, new PO, Stevante Wood, because Stevante Wood is just like Zach, man. We call them squirrels, always busy, always looking for the next nut. And these dudes who would get out there, up there on the interstate, and just burn the interstate up. So if you were ever pulled over and given a ticket on I-64 by Melwood, it was probably Zach and Stevante that gave you that ticket. <laughs> and you know what? It was well-deserved. Well-deserved.
And I remember one day they had pulled somebody over and they took the guy to jail. And then a little bit later, Zach hits me up on the Zillow app, on the walkie talkie app, and he's just laughing hysterically. He's like, oh my God, Pitch, you gotta hear, you gotta see this, you gotta hear this, man. So I go meet with them and they tell me the story of the guy that they had pulled over on the interstate. He had drugs on him and all this other stuff. And as they're searching him, something rolls out of the bottom of his pants leg. And apparently, <laughs> it's a butt plug. <laughs> we had so much of a laugh about that for God knows how long, man. <laughs> uh, and I mean, and it was a, still a running joke until this very day. You know, we, we come across some interesting characters in this line of work. And when I tell you Zach was always coming across some interesting characters, he was the number one man for it because, I mean, his productivity level was just off the charts. There was something going on, you best believe Zach was there front and center. He was not going to miss it for anything. And the one thing I always loved about Zach was how much he loved his wife and his two young boys. I was making fun of Zach a couple months ago for Halloween because him and his wife dressed up as prisoners in orange jumpsuits and they dressed their two young boys up as police officers. And I just thought it was the, it was just the most adorable pictures, man. A beautiful family. And I saw him. I was like, hey, man, you've been stalking my Facebook photos or something? He says, no, why? I was like, cuz, you stole our ideal. He said, what are you talking about? I was like, me and my wife did that with our kids long, long time ago before you even thought about having kids. So you've been on my Facebook just going through all my old photos. <laughs> oh, man, he and I laughed about that for the longest as well, man. You know, he was uh, he loved his family. He absolutely loved his boys, and he had, he cherished his wife, Jamie. Like I said, I was not there on that day on the interstate, but I was told that as he was laying there on the ground that he kept holding his ring and he was smiling when somebody asked him if he was married. I mean, anytime you talk to him about his wife or his boys, man, his face would light up. You know, he always made it a priority that we worked the day shift, so we would get off at 8 p.m. every day. But no matter what, Zach would go home and he would get his boys up so that they could eat together. Of course they're going to eat together. What else would Zach do? <laughs> so they would spend time eating, take, having a meal together. He always wanted to make sure he had time with his family, man. And so I remember that night at the hospital on the 18th when they told us that he was in stable condition and that, you know, he was still bleeding, but it looked like he was possible. He was going to be okay. That's what we all believed. And so I remember leaving the hospital in high spirits. We were all in high spirits. We all were full of hope. And I kept telling all my buddies, like, you know what? I'll take my dude with some broken bones as long as he is still alive. We can deal with the injuries. We can deal with everything else. As long as he's still here and I can still laugh and joke with him, it's all good, man. So I remember leaving the hospital and going home to get some rest and sitting on the couch with my family and my wife says hey let's go take the kids to see the Christmas lights so we go to see the Christmas lights and I'm having you know it's I'm having a rough time because I'm still feeling bad for Zach but like I said I was hopeful and at this point I was tired I was I just want to go home and lay down and as we're driving down the street I get the phone call and they tell me that Zach did not make it and my entire world collapsed around me in that moment. Because that's not how this was supposed to end. That's not how this was supposed to happen. We're not supposed to be burying our friend. We're not supposed to be burying our squad mate. Zach's family is not supposed to be burying him. A father who was still a police officer should not have to lose his son on duty. Two young boys should not have to grow up without their father. And a wife should not, have, should not have to figure out how to pick up the pieces and learn to go on without the man that has loved, cared, and provided for her for many years.
And the thing that hurts the most from this whole thing is the false hope that we all had, you know, the belief that he was going to be okay, just a long recovery, and only to have that last shred of hope pulled from us and put us in the situation where we were the last 48 hours, remembering and memorializing our fallen brother. It's hard. It's very hard. You know, I tell people I've been doing this job a long time now, going on 13 years. I've been to many police funerals. You know, I remember the first police officer funeral I went to. It was the funeral of Officer Brent Long in Terre Haute, Indiana. He was a canine officer on the Marshal's Task Force serving a warrant. He went in to serve the warrant and he was shot and killed. And if I remember correctly, I believe his wife was a dispatcher at the time and was working the radio in which the event happened. And I remember sitting in the auditorium for that funeral. I never met the guy, never knew him. And I've only been on the job for about just over a year. And I remember crying over this man I had never met. It was seeing his wife, you know, and his canine out there by his casket. And it, it just struck a chord in me, and I dropped tears for this man. And I didn't know him, but he was my brother in blue, you know, and it hurt. And, I, and I've been to my, plenty of friends' funerals. I've lost people that I've loved on this department. You know, the pain runs so deep. I remember... A couple years ago, when we when we lost Officer Nick Rodman, whose father was also a retired officer from here, and he was a first division officer as well. I remember when we lost him. I was in the first division, but I wasn't working that day, and I was in a different unit within the first division. I knew Nick. I wasn't close friends with him, but I knew him well enough. And the fact that I knew his father, George Rodman, George was one of my first partners when I got on the PD because my FTO, Paco, he and them two were partners. So I've known George since my career started. And even though I did not know Nick as well as I knew George, I knew the type of family he came from. I know the type of man that his father is and the expectations that he has. I mean, George Robin has trained so many officers on this department. Some of the best officers we have on this department are the officers that they are because they were trained by retired officer George Rodman. You know, but seeing us having to bury Nick Rodman, seeing George cry over his son that day at the hospital back in March of 2017, that cut deep. And I still remember it. But I got to say this, man. The pain hits a lot harder. And the pain hits a lot deeper. When you are at the funeral of your friend and your partner that you were working with on shift. It hits a lot deeper when that person that you were with just five, ten minutes before the incident, it hits a lot deeper. When you started the same shift, but the shift did not end how you imagined it would end. You know, the pain hits so much deeper. When it could have been any of a, other of us on the, been dispatched to that call because we had all been up on that part of the interstate so many times. You know, it hits a lot deeper when just about an hour before the incident on the interstate, somebody got on the radio and said, radio, be advised. We are going to have a lot of accidents up here today. The roads are horrible. It hits a lot deeper when you're at the hospital and you see your friend's father with tears staining his shirt as he gets out of the police car and runs into the emergency room to be with his boy. And I remember being in the crowd for so many police funerals. And I remember being on the opposite end as I watched officers line the hospital doors 
as they rolled out the remains of their fallen brother into the EMS wagon and took took their body to the medical examiner's office. You know, I saw the hurt and pain in their eyes. I felt the hurt and pain because it's a brother, even though I wasn't there in the, for that exact incident and moment in which they lost their brother. And it's just so different to see it on the other side where people are coming to support you and your squad as you escort the remains of your fallen brother to his final resting place. It's so different when you at the funeral and you see your fallen brother's father lean over into his casket and kiss his son on the forehead as they're both wearing the same uniform. You know, it hits you in your gut when you see the woman that has given birth to his two boys. You see this officer's wife, the woman he always talked about and smiled about, was the, the woman that just made his day. When you see her go up to the casket and drop tears in front of her husband that's laying before her, knowing he's never coming back, it hits you. But what really got it for me was rolling his mother in her wheelchair up to the casket to see her boy and helping her stand up and watching her drop tears over her baby boy and then interacting with his sisters and his cousins and all his family members, people that I had never met, but people that I had this instant connection to because of Zach and his love for them and his care for them. And because I knew that Zach would want me to love on them and care for them in this time, you know, I took it upon myself to make it my sole duty to be there for them as much as I could and help them through this process. Nobody assigned me to it. I just felt that this is what I was supposed to do and needed to do for my brother. Because I know that if it was reversed, he would do the same for me without question, without hesitation. You know, the exhaustion, the mental, physical, and emotional exhaustion that comes from losing a brother in the line of duty. I just can't even explain it. I remember being on combat operations in Iraq and just being so exhausted and just not feeling like I had anything in me left. And I felt that the last few days. Since December 18th, I felt that exhaustion. But I just somehow kept getting up every morning and just going, even though I didn't want to get out of bed because I was just lay in bed wondering and asking God, why? Why, Zach? Why, God? You know, people all, always say, you know, God has a plan. And I absolutely do believe that the Lord upstairs has a plan. But I just wish that his plans didn't involve so much hurt and so much pain for all of us down here. And not just that, the confusion as to why Someone as good of a man and humble and loving and caring of an officer as Zach is no longer with us. And I remember watching Nick Rodman's funeral and seeing his platoon go up on stage and just love and console and hold each other. And it's like I'm in a dream as I walk up on stage and stand behind Dave Burns, who's a retired officer and one of Dell's good friends, eulogized our brother. And as we stood behind his wife, Jamie, it just didn't feel real as I stood there. I remember being in the crowd on the other end in 2017. And it's, I don't understand how now it's reversed and I'm the one on the stage and our brother Jamie's husband, Dell's son, is the one that we are saying goodbye to. But of all the things that really made reality set in, it was when we got to the gravesite and we're standing there 
and we're getting ready to lay our brother to rest and we do the final radio call and the tones go off on the radio and the radio starts asking for 115 Baker to answer and there's no answer because our brother is no longer with us. As soon as the the tones went off at the gravesite for the final call, my mind instantly went back to that morning of December 18th when the tones ran off for Zach and the radio called out for 115 Baker. Not once, but twice. And two times, there was no answer. As the tones went off for the final call at the gravesite, a part of me was still hoping and believing that maybe I could hear him respond. Radio 115 Baker's 1086. But it would not come. And I knew it would not come. I remember watching our squad mates carry Zach in to the gravesite. And what really set it in for me was at the end of the service, we carried Zach up the hill in his casket. And looking down at the hole in the ground that would hold his remains is that dark, cold, lonely hole in the ground. And looking at all the dirt on the side that would be poured on top of him, separating his remains from us forever. That's when I realized my dude was gone and that the city, this department, we have lost one of the best officers. And I'm not just saying that. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I mean, one of the best officers you could ever want to respond to a call. You know, when everything was going crazy here in Louisville over the past few years and officers were wanting to lay down and not work. Zach was still out here going and getting after it. He never backed down once. And he would always say that there are people that are out here that still need us. So while everyone was laying down, Zach was still out here going, being active and catching criminals and bringing justice to the people. Bringing, I mean, he was even bringing justice to the people that would say the meanest and rudest things to him because that is just the type of officer that Zach, Zachary Cottingen was. You know, when David Burns did his eulogy, he kept saying, everybody be like Zach. And we should all definitely be like Zach. <clears throat> you know, a couple weeks ago, me, Zach, and our designated marksman, we, <laughs> we were doing what we always do, eating. We were at the troll pub grabbing some lunch. And I was in such a bind that day because it was like crunch time for my book. And I was under the gun trying to get these edits done. And I was just so stressed out. And we had a hospital detail going on that day. And I was like, man, I need to get this thing done at some point in time. Oh, my God. I was just so stressed out. And I looked over at Zach as we're sitting there. And there's, there is one thing that Zach did not, not like about police work. It was having to be on a hospital detail because he was just too active of a man to just sit and wait <laughs> at a hospital. Like, he's just not built for it, man. My man has to be on the go constantly. And I looked at him. I was like, hey, man, let me take your hospital details, Zach. And without hesitation, this man said, of course. <laughs> Heck yeah. But you should have seen the smile on his face knowing that he did not have to go and sit at the hospital for two hours. He was so happy. You know what he did for me because he was so happy? As I got through eating, <laughs> I pulled out my wallet and he says, no, 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 no. You're not paying. I'm paying for your lunch today. You're doing me a favor. <laughs> so I remember I got up and I went and sat on the hospital detail. And man, you know, that's just he was just the absolute most kindest person, man. 
I mean, the man did so much stuff behind the scenes for people on the streets, things that will never come to light because he's not the type to go and brag about it. He's not the type to go and boast about it and make a Facebook post about this great deed he did. See, Zach was a doer. He didn't do it for accolades and awards. The man just did his job and he did what was right. And that's one thing I loved about working with him. I never had to question his motives. I never had to question where his heart was. I never had to question what his true intent, intent was. And that is the best type of officer. And that is the best type of partner that anyone in this profession can ask for. And that is the man I have strived to be my entire life. And that is the type of officer I will continue to strive to be in his absence. Because that is exactly what Zach would want from all of us. And as Dave Byrne said in the eulogy, be like Zach, I'm going to do my best to try to carry on his legacy and his memory by how I treat people. And, you know, I tell people being a good cop is not about going out here and locking up every person that you can just because you have the power and the ability to do so. That is not what makes you a good cop. <clears throat> If you can go out here and write 100 tickets, but you can't go out here and buy a bus ticket for someone to get home to help them get to rehab and pay for their rehab. That's what being a real cop is, man. It ain't about just locking people up every day, all day. It, this uniform and this profession is so much more deeper than that. And Zach was the absolute essence of what it means to be a police officer in this day and age. Like I said, even when the deck, was, the deck was stacked against him and all of us, this man stayed dedicated and loyal to the profession and to the people he served, even though they are the ones that didn't want him. They are the ones that would say the only good cop is a dead cop. They are the ones that would say all cops are bastards. And Zach would still go out and serve these people and give them the best service. Because that is just the type of guy Officer Zachary Cottingham was. And I am proud to have been his friend. I am proud to have been his partner. I am proud to be friends with his family. And to his wife, Jamie, and his two boys. To Dell, Zach's mom, Pam, his sister, Ashley. And all y'all, man. There's so many of y'all. I can't. <laughs> my apologies, man. I can't. There's so many of y'all, but. And my heart goes out to you all because I know you all are hurting today and you all will be hurting for a while. We will all be hurting for a while. But Zach loved you all. But just because Zach is gone, you all have lost a son, a husband, a father, a brother, a cousin. You all have gained a family with the members of LMPD's First Division First Squad. So you might have lost one, but you all have gained many, many more in his absence. And I tell you all, I've told you all over the past few days that just because he is laying at rest now does not mean that the love, care and concern that we have shown you all this past week ends. No, 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 no. That love, care and concern continues on until you all tell me to stop calling and texting you all. I'm going to continue to call and text you all until y'all tell me to stop because I know that's what he will want. I said, my phone will always be open to you all. My life is open to you all. Anything I can do to help in this time, just reach out, reach out to any of us. We're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that his boys are well loved and taken care of and his wife and you all as well. Anything we can do. And if we don't know how to do it, we're going to find somebody that can see. And this is the beauty of being a police officer in our culture and the thin blue line. I tell people we are literally one big dysfunctional family in the police world. I mean, we do and say some of the craziest things to each other. We are hard on each other. You know, sometimes we are our own worst enemies. I have seen it in this job line of work time and time again, but see, when it's in that final moment and somebody has to be there, 
when some when one of us is hurting or our family members are hurting, you will not see a group of people pull together to honor and do the right thing for the family of the fallen. You will not see a group of people pull together tighter than a band of cops to make sure that our fallen brother and his loved ones are honored and respected and loved from here on out. And see, that's just how we do business. And the beauty of it is, you know, Zach's a white boy from Edmondson, Kentucky. I always used to make fun of him for it. And me, I'm a black guy from Hardin County, Kentucky. And you know what? None of that ever mattered. We have different families, different skin color, but he and I, we don't bleed red, we bleed blue. We are brothers and we will always be brothers. And the brother, the brother and sisterhood of the thin blue line, it goes beyond color. If you would have looked out into the crowd and came to the funeral and been at the gravesite, you would have seen tears rolling down the faces of people of all different colors and genders. None of that ever matters. The only color that truly matters to us is blue. And the oath that we all have sworn to uphold for the people in this country and our communities, because that is what the thin blue line is about. Don't let these protesters and all these people out here tell you that the thin blue line represents racism. It doesn't never has and never will. And you know who would not stand for that? Zach would not stand for that. And that is why I'm proud to call that man my brother and I always will be. And that is why I will always defend and support this profession in the thin blue line, because y'all are all my family, the members of first division, first squad, anybody that wears a police uniform around this country, you are my brothers and my sisters. But however, I got to tell you, just because you wear a uniform does not mean you're automatically my brother and my sisters. It is what you do and how you act when you wear that uniform that solidifies the bond of brotherhood and sisterhood. Because if you have that uniform on and do something to tarnish this profession and this badge and the uniform, Zach would disown you in a heartbeat. And so will I. Because the bond runs deeper than just a uniform. This is a way of life and a belief system of honor, integrity, commitment, and doing the right thing. Integrity. And that is what he stood for in every facet of his life. And we all have to do that. If we want to truly be brothers and sisters, be like Zach. And you know, the, the one thing about this profession, that even though I'm hurting Zach's family's hurting, our department's hurting, our city's hurting, our, you know, our squad is hurting. I don't want to get lost in just my hurt. Because, as you know, in this profession, you are only one call away from the next tragedy. You're only one call away from the next tear and sorrow that's going to get dropped because a fallen, an officer has fallen somewhere in this country. And that still continues to hold true. You know, the day we buried Zach, that morning on December 22nd, there's a police officer in Charlotte Mecklenburg, North Carolina. This officer, Maya Goodwin, she was killed that morning on the interstate when a truck jackknifed and crashed into her and killed her and sent two of her, uh, I believe two of her other uh, co-workers to the hospital. And she had served for six years. She was 33 years old. Not only that, she had just come back from maternity leave. She had just gave birth to a new baby. She was only back two days. And lo and behold, she met her fate while in uniform on the, on clock, on the clock in service to the city. And she took her last breaths on the day that we buried our brother Zach. That department's hurting. That family's hurting. There's going to be a little kid out there that is never going to get to know their mother's smile, their mother's laugh, 
that kid is never going to get to know their mother intimately. That kid would only know their mother through photos and stories and videos. And that breaks my heart. I say, I love this profession, but it's hard on you. It's hard on your heart because, like I said, every time you turn around, there's someone in uniform in this country taking their last breath. There's someone in uniform in this country that woke up and went to their shift that started just like any other shift, any other day, not knowing that that shift would be their last. You know, we go to our shifts, and like I said earlier, it never crosses our mind that, hey, this might be my last shift. Because we never think it could be us. It could never be our partner. But we just never know. And that morning, I'm sure Officer Goodwin got up, kissed her family, kissed her kids, and went out the door expecting to be home after her shift was over. But instead... Her family is sharing the pain that we are feeling right now for Zach. Her family is planning her funeral. Her her department and her squad, they're going through it right now. So that's why I say I hurt. We all hurt here, but we all sharing that hurt across the country in every city, in every state. There's someone from this from the thin blue line that's going to have some pain in their life that they don't want to have to deal with. You know, another per- another officer that just took their last breath on December 23rd was from the Baltimore Police Department, Officer Kiana Holly. I've been keeping up with the story for some time. You know, on December 16th, she was sitting in her car, sitting in her car, and when she was ambushed and shot, She's a mother of, I believe, four kids, four young kids. She had only been a cop for two years, 39 years old. Went to work that day, not knowing that she would be ambushed sitting in her car. She was on life support for days. And I read the article just yesterday that the doctors and the family decided to take her off life support. And she's passed away. As of December 23rd, you know, you don't have to be a police supporter to be a human and sympathize and empathize with people, man. You don't have to be in this uniform to feel bad for people that put on this uniform to go to work, provide for the community and provide for their families. You just have to be a human to experience the hurt. Because we have all lost people in this line of work or outside of this line of work. See, death is the natural order of things in life. We are all eventually going to die. And I believe that when we do die, we will all be reunited again on the other side. But sometimes it's just the manner and how it happens that catches us off guard. Because, yes, death is the natural order. But sometimes Life just throws us a curveball and it comes in ways we don't expect or think it should happen. Because, you know, I picture Zach as an old man dying in a bed surrounded by his kids and grandkids. That's how we want to believe it. That's how I picture Officer Mia Goodwin and Officer Kiana Holly. That's how we all picture ourselves dying, happy, having lived a full life, doing all the things we wanted to do and being here doing You know, seeing all the things that we wanted to see and loving and raising our families. But that's not always how it turns out. Especially in this line of work, you just never know. And that pain lingers and hurts, but it will get better with time. You know, the pain will never go away, but it will lessen. I say I've cried so many tears this last week. I've cried more than I've cried in a long time. And I'm just ready for the pain to stop hurting, you know, but it's made even harder for us here in Louisville because the day that Zach died, we were six days away from the three year anniversary of when we lost our sister officer and detective Deidre Mangado. 
she was hit and killed on the same stretch of road, on the same interstate that Zach was killed on Interstate 64 on December 24th, 2018. You know, and it's so weird how I had already left the police department at that time and I was already with the border patrol and I was in the academy. But for some odd reason, God allowed me to be here that morning of December 24th of 2018. And I'm thankful that he let me be here so that I could be with my brothers and sisters on the department if for only a moment in the wake of Didi's death. So if you all will, I'm going to read an excerpt from my book, I Am Pitt's Memoirs of an American Patriot of the Morning That Didi Passed, because today is the three-year anniversary of her death. And I wanted to honor our sister along with Zach by reading this small passage from my book. In early December of 2018, we learned that we were being furloughed due to the government shutdown. I flew home on December 23rd. Had only been gone about seven weeks, but it truly felt like a lifetime. As I walked to the terminal, DJ and Brooklyn rushed to me to give me a hug. Hearing their little voices scream, Daddy, instantly recharged my mentally and emotionally depleted mind. I had to report back to the academy by December 26th, so my stay would be brief as I had to drive 19 hours across the country to be back in time. We awoke on Christmas Eve on December 24th, and the kids ripped into their gifts like feral animals. The smiles on their faces were so big, and the cheer in their voices made it hard for me to want to hit the road in a few hours. I wanted to stay in this moment with them forever. As I continued to watch them open their gifts, my phone rang. It was my good friend, Beth, calling me to tell me the bad news. The morning of December 24th, 2018, Detective Deidre Mangado stopped the vehicle for a traffic violation on Interstate 64 in the eastbound lane. While she was sitting in her vehicle, it was struck by an MSD Metro Sewer District semi-truck and burst into flames. She was killed instantly. I got in my truck and drove to the FOP Lodge to be with my fellow officers in this horrific moment. We had gathered at the FOP Lodge two months prior to say goodbye to our beloved LMPD homicide detective, John Lesher, who passed unexpectedly. 19 months prior to that, we had gathered to grieve the loss of our brother, Officer Nick Rodman, who was killed in the line of duty on March 29, 2017, in a vehicular assault. The tears of grief-stricken LMPD officers littered the floor of the FOP Lodge. They are getting ready to transport Didi's body, and we need cars to help with, our, with the escort. Officers got up from their seats and walked outside to their cruisers to help. I impulsively reached for my keys in my pocket, thinking that the keys to my police cruiser were still there, as though my police cruiser was parked outside in the parking lot. I was no longer part of the LMPD family. I was merely a guest at the lodge, and I had forfeited my right to escort my fallen sister and my former partner. I had exchanged my LMPD uniform for an opportunity to chase a dream. I knew I had made a mistake leaving. I felt like I had betrayed them. I wanted to stay here with my brothers and my sisters, but I had to hit the road. I drove back home, grabbed my bags, and prepared to hit the road. And that is the end of that excerpt. We have lost a lot of good men and women in this line of work, and especially here in Louisville with the Louisville Metro Police Department. You know, the pain, like I said, it gets better. It doesn't hurt as much, but it always still hurts. You know, and the thing that always gets me is I always question and ask God and wonder why. Why them and not me? I always think about all the young men that have and women that have died around me over the years. And see, the life I'm living now, I'm living on borrowed time because I ask God constantly, why did you save me on that night of January 2nd, 2005 in Iraq? Why have you continued to spare my life through 12 years, almost 13 years of police work? Why have you given me 37 years and you've given my kids eight years with me and almost six years with me, but we have 
men like Zach who only get 29 years of life and his kids only get you know, three years and nine months with him. I've seen so many young men and women die over the years and it breaks my heart and it hurts and the guilt that I carry for still being here knowing that people that who are better than me in every way are gone from this life yes I know we should rejoice that they are in heaven and that they're looking down on us smiling and want us to go on and live our lives. And I do go on and live my life. But it's hard having seen and experienced so much death over the years. Questioning and wondering why I am still here. And why God loves me so much to still keep me. I'm thankful for every moment that I have. I'm thankful for everything that I've been given and blessed with. I'm thankful for my wife and my kids, my job, my home. I'm thankful for everything. But it's always in the back of my mind. Why me, God? Why am I still here? And it hurts. But I plan on making the best of the time that I have because I know that my fallen military brothers will want that. I know that my fellow fallen officers will want that. I know that Zach would want that. I know that Zach would be looking at me right now saying, Dexter, hey, smile, joke, laugh, have a good time. Because that is all we ever did together. We all always laughed and joked. We ate. We lived life to the fullest. We enjoyed ourselves so much going to work. And it was the same with Dee Dee. I've always enjoyed laughing and talking with her. She's one of the best beat partners I've ever had. You know, and just thinking about their families going on without them breaks my heart. And I want to make sure that from this point on that I, you know, I continue to cherish every breath that I get to take on this side of life. Because as we've seen over the last week, we never know when that final moment on this earth is going to come with our friends, family, and loved ones. So let's not take for granted the time that we have. Let's not take the time that we have, you know, and just waste it arguing over stupid political differences and stupid things like skin color. Let's enjoy life to the fullest, man. Let's be with our friends and family. Let's joke. Let's laugh. And that's been our time being looking for reasons to be offended. Let's look for reasons to laugh and joke and let's laugh at our differences, man. Let's not let our differences tear us apart and continue to split us. Life can be really long if that's the way we choose to live, looking for reasons to be offended. But we also know that life can be also very short. So therefore, we have to find the sweetest, most precious moments as they come and savor Every bit of it. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Iron Pits podcast. And before I get ready to sign off, I want to take a moment to have a moment of silence for my fallen brother, 115 Baker, Zachary Cottingham. And on this day, I'd like for us to also remember the fallen officer in North Carolina, Officer Mia Goodwin, and the Baltimore Police Department off fallen officer, Kiana Holly. And also, let us remember our fallen sister, Detective Deidre Mangado, on this day. Radio to 294. Radio to 294. This is the final radio call for car 294, Detective Deidre Mangandope. Detective Mangandope served the citizens of Louisville with honor, courage, and integrity for seven years, all with the 2nd Division. Her legacy will be carried on by her son Preston, her parents Brenda and Chuck, her father Wayne, her sister Ashley, 
her grandparents, Mary and Gil, and all of her brothers and sisters with LMPD. Car 294, Detective Deidre Mangandope is 10-7 for the remainder. She has gone home, and may she rest in peace. Your time now is 12-15. Radio to 115 Baker. This is the final call for 115 Baker. Officer Zachary Cotton Gim. Officer Zachary Cotton Gim served the Louisville Metro Police Department and the citizens of Louisville with honor, integrity, and distinction. 115 Baker, Officer Zachary Cotton Gim is 10-7 for the remainder. May he rest in peace. Your time now is 1328. 